Live from the Old Church Theater in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's special Valentine's Day show, Kiss and Tell. May the narrative be with you. My husband Sam is six foot four. He's a foot taller than me. He has the thighs of a Scottish warrior. He has the arms of a blacksmith and the broad, hairy chest of a Viking. And the voice of Orson Welles. Or God, depending on who you're talking to. But he also has the hands of Michelangelo's David. They're just crazy graceful. And his hugs, I swear I wish I could bottle them. They could soothe the worst despair. He sports a full beard these days, but when I first met him, he was clean shaven. And underneath that beard is a total baby face. And these two dimples that make him look like he's always just on the verge of smiling or maybe up to something. <laughs> When we first met, I was in my mid-20s, 110 pounds, and cursed with the word cute. Now, you may not think that cute is a curse, so let me tell you what cute means to me. Babies, bunnies, puppies, kittens, dolls are cute. I was none of those things. In my experience, cute means people expect you to smile all the time, and they're offended if you don't. In my experience, cute means people won't let you do things for yourself. They do not see you as capable Kathy. <laughs> they don't let you build stuff and do DIY. They don't let you move stuff. They don't let you take the lead. People don't take you seriously. Case in point, when I was in college, I took a political science class. So this is a class on how power works in the world, right? This guy in my class tells me, the only reason I got an A is because the professor thought I was cute. And then the professor hit on me. I think that was one of the few times in my life that I found myself questioning my own intelligence. And for me, my brains have always been the uncontested bedrock of my identity. Thank you, cute. So when I was in my mid-twenties, the thing I wanted more than anything else in the world was to be seen as a strong, independent woman. I wanted it so much, I moved 3,000 miles away from home so that I could be a strong, independent woman, not somebody's little girl or baby sister. So this is what I was carrying around in my 110-pound, 5'3 body when I met Sam. We met helping friends move. I went for a hike by myself in the morning, and I went to the moving party in the afternoon. Because that's what you do when you're a strong, independent woman, right? You go for a solo hike in the morning, and you move shit in the afternoon. Yeah! So I go to this moving party. I'm there. I pick up one end of a couch. And Sam picks up the other end. So we're carrying this couch, him and me. Only I don't even notice how tall he is. He doesn't make me notice. He doesn't make me feel small. Then this other guy comes up to my end of the couch, and he says to me, here, let me take that for you. And Sam says, that's OK. She's stronger than she looks. How? 
That was my lightning bolt moment. This guy sees me. He gets it. And after that day, I could not get Sam out of my mind. This man who understood that I was stronger than I looked. I started dreaming about him. I imagined I was going to run to him around every corner, and I hoped that I would. And then I did. And I was so tongue-tied, I barely got out three words. I was pissed at myself. This is not how a strong, independent woman behaves. A strong, independent woman makes the first move. So I vowed to myself, if our paths ever crossed again, I would ask him out for a cup of coffee. And then our paths did cross again, which it turns out was not entirely by accident. But that's Sam's story to tell, so. Right there. So I asked him out for a cup of coffee. And our cup of coffee lasted for seven hours. We started down by the waterfront in downtown. We walked all over downtown Portland. We ended up in this little jazz club in northwest Portland. And I remember sitting at the table in the club in this soft amber light, looking into Sam's eyes and telling him all my dreams. And they all seemed possible because he made me feel capable of anything. So we started going out. But there was a problem. I had been fighting so hard to be seen as a strong, independent woman that I had come to the conclusion that being a strong, independent woman could not coexist with love and marriage. I had decided that love and marriage would mean giving up my independence and letting my identity be swallowed whole by some relationship, and I didn't want that. So all along the way, I'm putting the brakes on. Sam said, I love you first, and I didn't say it back to him. Strong, independent woman, I wanted to say it on my own terms, in my own time, not as some knee-jerk reaction. Poor Sam. <laughs> he sent me flowers at work. And I got pissed at him. Strong, independent woman doesn't need flowers. I don't want people to think I'm some love-struck schoolgirl. I don't want people to know I'm in love. But everybody was already figuring it out. My friends, my coworkers, they knew. And pretty soon, I was figuring it out, too. Because I'd be walking down the street, and I'd think of Sam, and I'd just start smiling. And I'd feel like I was walking on air. And suddenly, silly love songs totally made sense to me. <laughs> so we moved in together. And when we moved in together, my identity didn't get swallowed up. All my stuff, my artwork and posters and furniture and stuff, and his stuff completely meshed. It was like our stuff had been together forever. <laughs> And I knew that's what I wanted with this man. So we got married. I kept my own name. I mean, it's not like I suddenly relaxed. <laughs> you know, I, I was still fighting that fight because let's face it, the world is not made of Sam's. But you can't be strong and independent 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 
over an entire lifetime. You just can't. Life won't let you. Life has this really nasty, crappy habit of reminding you over and over again. And the older you get, the more life reminds you. Sam and I have been married for 25 years now. When he says, I love you now, I say it back. I, most of the time. I'm 52, he's 58, and sometimes these days it does feel like mortality is kind of getting in our face. We've had friends his age who've died of heart attacks and strokes. You know, things happen. About a year and a half ago, I went back east to visit family. Sam stayed here in Portland. And during my trip back east, I had a nasty fall. I walked where I thought was floor, but there was a trap door that I didn't know about, and it was open. I fell straight through. Some stairs broke my fall. I went down the flight of stairs and ended on a concrete floor. I hit my head in four or five places, my body a lot more. I went to the emergency room. I was nauseous, dizzy, and in pain everywhere, but mostly my head. I'm lying on the gurney in the emergency room, waiting for them to take me for a CT scan to see if my brain is okay. My brain, the uncontested cornerstone of my identity. I'm terrified, and in that moment, I didn't just want to hear Sam's voice, I needed to hear Sam's voice. So my aunt calls Sam on the cell phone, and I'm sobbing into the phone. I want to go home. I wish you were here. Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? Tell me I'm going to be okay. Over and over and over. And over and over and over, he says, you're going to be okay. In that moment, I was not a strong, independent woman. I was a scared, vulnerable human being who desperately needed the person I love. It turns out, loving somebody over an entire lifetime means being brave enough to depend on them. It means being strong enough to trust them and to rely on another vulnerable human being. It turns out, love is about interdependence. It's about sharing the burden, not carrying the burden alone, whether that's a couch or a life. <laughs>